Blog Talk Radio.
This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Father, and your white great grandfather saw 
killed my great-grandfather and your white-grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. Get a 
liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, you know, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, you know, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We welcome you to Africa on the Move. This is Brother Africa on the third day of September 2023. We bring to you part two. Nigeria and Africa. That's right. We discussed the part two of Nigeria and Africa. And like always, we invite you to join us for dialing 323-679-401. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. And if you define it, we're going to stand behind it. We come to speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. This is Africa on the move. Like always, you know how we get started with our party. We're going to introduce to you our critical panelists and analysts for today's program, followed by what's going on in your world and the community, and then we have a discussion on our particular theme. So that's the order for today. As your host, Brother Africa, let's continue to travel down the road of liberation by introducing you to our political panelists and analysts. We first, we'll start off with Brother Haki, who is a member of the African Awareness Association, and we would like to welcome him today to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. <coughs> Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mashoki. Currently, currently, I mean, with African Awareness, and of course, you know, Brother Africa, my thing is institution building. And certainly one of the reasons why, you know, institution building is so important in the community, 
He said a lot of times when we talk about these institutions in terms of their mission, the mission doesn't often doesn't always encompass uh, what we believe it should encompass. In fact, when we look at the criminal justice system, one of the things that we got to be very clear on is that when we talk about these um, dispensation of, of justice, we got to understand that it's that it's not always possible based upon a myriad of reasons. Uh, there's a particular case that comes to mind in terms of a real injustice I think people are not aware of, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about. But I think it's important we understand just how complex it is in terms of really in, in, really in, incorporating, you know, in our minds, you know, just how corrupt, uh, just how unjust a lot of these institutions really are. And to the extent that we begin to understand the nature or the insidious nature of these institutions in terms of how they work, the more we're better than able to actually fight against these kind of institutions. Uh, so I haven't said that, Brother Africa. Let me just read this, this article or this, that I wrote, I think, is, is, is somewhat revealing in terms of um, <clears throat> some, some of the inner workings of the, of the court systems, which, unfortunately, a lot of times we don't, we don't routinely think about. <clears throat> but I haven't said that. Check this out, Brother Africa. In January last year, De Montario Gibson, a uh, commercial van with a Hearst logo on it, was fired upon by white father-son duo. Gibson, an employee of FedEx, <coughs> was delivering packages where he alleges shots were fired at him. The lead shots apparently were preceded by shots that directly hit the commercial van he was driving. Mr. Gibson maintains <coughs> a pickup truck attempted to block his departure within the stricter boundaries of a cul-de-sac, compelling him to flee a potentially dangerous situation given he did not know the motivations of the truck's occupants. The defendants of the father-son duo admit they attempted to stop the vehicle driven by Mr. Gibson to ascertain his reasons for being in the vicinity of an abandoned house owned by the, his, by the mother-in-law. At this point, the motivation of father-son duo becomes questionable. If their motivation were to prevent a break-in, <laughs> their obvious presence would have been sufficient to discourage any such attempt. Instead, by their own admission, observing, observing or observance was not their true motivation as they pursued Mr. Gibson's vehicle. Investigations revealed, in addition to Mr. Gibson's images on his phone, on his phone camera, the pursuit of Mr. Gibson's vehicle indicated an urgency to engage Mr. Gibson on a darkened street with the real, realization no justification existed uh, to protect property. The chase ultimately resulted in gunfire, striking the commercial van at least three times. Ironically, the father-son duo acknowledged they illegally attempted to force Mr. Gibson to stop. Now, the weapon based upon the, the weapon based upon Brookhaven, Mississippi Police Department investigations was found in the home of the suspects, along with shell casings discovered in the front yard of the suspect's home. The findings of the key forensics tended to corroborate Gibson's assertion prior to the gunshots on the commercial van, shots was fired directly at him before the van was saturated with gunshots. Now, of course, legally speaking, without the weapon as available evidence to, com to compare with the spent casings, providing legitimacy for, for Gibson's claims could be compromised. There is no indication via reports that Brookhaven police ever canvassed the area in which Mr. Gibson alleges shots were fired directly at him. Now, interestingly enough, uh, police misconduct in this case did not end <coughs> with sloppy police investigation, but endured throughout the limited trial. 
This trial revealed the interplay between various components of the criminal justice system and how seamlessly uh, they merged to the way of justice. Achieving a financial, excuse me, achieving a judicial verdict in spite of an abundance of evidence to the contrary. Now, last month, the trial convened against a backdrop of judicial discretion. The case would, in, would embody <laughs> judicial dis- discretion that concealed, that concealed the level of police incompetence reminiscent of, reminiscent of a cover-up. Police incompetence in this case was demonstrated in two ways illuminating the instances of ethnic discrimination in the criminal justice system. First, examples of evidence tampering was on full display. In the action to conceal, destroy, or falsify by police, nor such information is evidence, is classic evidence tampering. Implicit in evidence tampering is a violation of due process in which all the information obtained by the police should have been provided to the district attorney. Obviously, this breakdown in the judicial process creates the grounds for mistrial because of the perception of collusion or, or, bias court, or bias court proceedings. In this case, defense attorneys immediately requested a mistrial, and the judge agreed. Putting the mistrial ruling into perspective, the police and district attorney often hide information to ensure conviction of poor defendants. If we recall the case of O.J. Simpson, his high-priced attorneys were able to obtain information that a blood sample was tainted, indicating some of the blood had disappeared, presumably to use to frame O.J. Simpson, casting the criminal justice system in a bad light. Despite the implication of evidence tampering, Judge Ito rejected motions of a mistrial, and the trial continued. Just why did Judge Ito reject the, reject the, mistri- the mistrial motion, and the judge and the judge granted a mistrial? Is in the judge's particular case granted a mistrial? In this case, is puzzling. According to the According to constitutional law, not every area of police ineffectiveness may rise to the level of a mistrial, provided it is not sufficiently prejudicial to the defendant. In addition, non-constitutional error is prejudicial, prejudicial, prejudicial only if there is a reasonable possibility, absent police error, the outcome of the trial would be different. In, in, the, in the case of the two men, the physical evidence, the defendant's own statements, all corroborate the defendant's guilt. Even if the judge ruled against motions of a mistrial, the overwhelming information collected and presented into evidence, aside from the, aside from the gun, would have been sufficient to support a guilty conviction. Now, even though police failure to provide information pertaining to Gibson's tape statements, possession of the weapon, and shot casings were formidable, it does not contradict defendant's statements or evidence presented into trial. Judge's ruling that the detective improperly testified about the weapon found in the house may have violated the rules of discovery and were interjected improperly through testimony, may have been a violation of process, but the remedies that could have been employed to address those concerns while preserving the continuation of the trial were not utilized. The question is why? In the case of so much social significance, why allow vigilantes to escape punishment thereby creating a precedent in which other racist vigilantes might follow suit? I should also point out the lack of diligence used by the district attorney to ensure his witness is protected leaves much to be desired. Part of the district attorney's preparing witnesses is to, testif- to testify is preparation. While the district attorney did not stress the importance of full disclosure, disclosure and showing the detective understood perceptions of impropriety of the district attorney's office is frowned upon. Perhaps the district attorney did instruct the detective on the importance of full disclosure, but I have my reservations. 
Given the division of labor in hierarchy, the more subordinate the position, the more precarious the existence. In other words, the detective's longevity in policing is determined by individuals and or supervisors' approval of how the individual carries out investigative tasks. It is hard to believe this detective in a small town would jeopardize his job by bringing this honor to the district attorney's office. Perhaps as a low person on the, low person on the totem pole, pressure was applied to the detective to ensure ground for a mistrial be established by the detective where both the prosecutor and judge would feign objectivity all the while partaking in a game of misdirection given the perception of wanting to achieve justice while all the while upholding social conventions that holds black blacks have no rights, whites are bound to respect. Now, will these thoughts be retried in a year or so? Only time would tell. Now, interestingly, Brother African, in terms of a particular case, the detective in question uh, who sabotaged his case is still on the job. He's currently, he hasn't been disciplined as of yet. And also, the, the district attorney who oversaw this case is, is in the process of retiring. So I think it's all very interesting in terms of just how this case plays, played out and how these, these so-called officials, you know, essentially are getting away scot-free in terms of how this case uh, 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 played out. So for me, it's very, very interesting. With that, I'll close. Thank you, Brother Aki, for presenting another case of justice in the USA. Let's move forward right now. We're going to bring to us our beloved brother, Anthony, who is a member of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party GC. That's the AAPRP GC. And we would like to welcome him on the 3rd of September, 2023, to Alpha Golden Welcome, Brother Anthony. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. We hold this objective because it's the ultimate solution to the problems facing African people worldwide. Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony, we're going to make our transition to Brother Moses. He's a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity for the Cuban Revolution, and we will bring him in and say, welcome, Brother Moses, to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. The struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few. The struggle is a, it's a very concrete struggle, and we know that when we analyze and um, definitely make definite understanding of a particular struggle, 
we see the particularities of the struggle and its concreteness, but we also learn some universal principles about the overall struggle as the particular struggle becomes a, a microcosm of the overall struggle. And um, it's the same as we see with with Afro-America here in the U.S. of A. And uh, we have to understand that uh, a concrete, definite land, a nation grows up on a definite land. It doesn't. You don't import or export nations. You uh, they, they grow up on a concrete land and are defined historically by by a political economy which develops on that land. And anyway, I want to thank you uh, because there's a lot of people who think that Israel is a nation, and uh, this is the biggest lie that's going. Now, I want to thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses, and you're right. We're going to unite the many to defeat the pure. So at this point in time, we will continue to make our transition. We now will bring in our sister, Eleanor, who is also a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, uh, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and to our listening audience in the United States and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and yes, I'm a member of the coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution, and uh, Cuba remains a model democracy uh, for not only the Western Hemisphere, but the world. Uh, in terms of literacy, education, uh, medical care, housing, so many things that the small nation uh, offers so much to its people. Uh, I thank you for having me on this evening's show. We continue to see the impact of global warming as well as uh, domestic violence in the United States and the uh, lack of effective uh, gun control and the impact of social media uh, that it's having on uh, the lives and the communities of African Americans, Jews, and other minorities that as we are being mowed down by, by youth, misguided youth. Uh, we saw where a young man entered a dollar store and uh, murdered uh, two men and one woman and himself, a 20-year-old. And his parents attempted to communicate with the police, but it was too late by then. He had already murdered these uh, persons in the store as well as committed suicide himself. So we continue to see this uh, as well as the situation in Covington and Tennessee, and it's just uh, an outrage. And Donald Trump continues to rage on with the big lie. So I look forward to this evening's show, and uh, again, thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, and for allowing me. At this point in time, to our listening audience, 
what we're going to do, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to remind you that you too can join us as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community by calling in at 323-679-0841. And as a reminder for a historical significance on this particular day, that's the 3rd of September in 1984. That was the boycott of South African schools in protest of new constitution by 145,000 youth. That's right. That took place in 1984 on this date, September the 3rd. So right now, again, we can take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we invite you and others to come and join us and share with us What's going on in your world and the community? This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus, 
again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral hollow, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah.
passers-by better watch your step Cause you never know where the knife will go and they ain't missed yet The songs survive they Information in this particular case. 
Now, I have three particular concerns, but the first one is that, you know, this police chief, uh, John Bedford, uh, he says, uh, despite the family's insistence that they released the videotape, you know, highlighting, you know, exactly what transpired, his vision was that he could not, uh, he could not uh, uh, release the tape because he only had a small staff, and the small staff wasn't able to process the video and to properly redact uh, certain footage you know, in the video according to Ohio law. Now, the questions I had in mind is that, you know, one of the things is that, you know, if, 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 the, prior, if the case is a priority in terms of this kind of death and you want to illustrate uh, the, the, the right decisions made by the police, uh, why would the staff side be relevant? And besides that, one of the things that he never disclosed exactly what constitutes a small, a small staff. And I find that somewhat a very strange justification for not releasing that video. And as far as redacting information on a video, it seems to me redacting information on a video is akin to, to, to evidence tampering. Uh, maybe it's just me, but I certainly, I, I, it certainly doesn't bode well in terms of police officials, you know, you know uh, redacting information on tapes because tapes are supposed to be an objective measurement in terms of what actually transpired. So if you can remove evidence at will, then who's to say that the evidence won't change it, particularly when it comes to, you know, viewing, you know, of that, of that video. Uh, now, and, and the fact that he doesn't have to disclose, at least according to his estimation, he doesn't have to disclose what was removed from the video becomes even more problematic as far, problematic as, far as I'm concerned. Interesting enough, though, Brother Africa, our Ohio law maintains uh, videos will have to be released until the end of the investigation. Uh, despite the, 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 the chief's assertion that the, the, the release of the video was a result of, of a small staff, the state statute says he doesn't have to release until the completion of the investigation. Now, assuming that the investigation was complete, it is interesting. The, the video was released one, approximately one week earlier, uh, one, week, one week after the incident. Um, <clears throat> now, interestingly, if you talk about an investigation that takes one week, uh, I find it very problematic because one of the things you talk about law enforcement bureaucracy, one week does not make for a credible investigation. So for me, that is problematic that they're able to, particularly with a small staff, in one week, get this information out on this video that's redacted and that we still supposed to trust the findings of the police. Secondly, the video was released, you know, one week, as I said, um, which raises more questions than answers. Uh, my concerns is that the video shows only one officer. Now, there's two officers on the scene. The other officer allegedly standing in front of the deceased car. Now, two questions. Uh, one is, what happened to the other officer's body cam video? If he wasn't in front of the vehicle, video of the deceased could re reveal whether she attempted to run over the officer. Secondly, uh, why would the officer position himself in front of a vehicle that's idling as opposed to ensuring the vehicle is cut off? Would it make more sense to stand to the side of the vehicle? Of course, I, I'm not, I wouldn't presuppose to tell cops how they should do their job. But certainly, if safety is first, if someone has got a in, a in a vehicle and the car is idling, uh, you know, and, and you know, you don't know whether or not it's in gear. But it seems to me, you know, that one thing I wouldn't do is stand in front of that vehicle. So the mere fact that this quote-unquote officer felt comfortable to stand in front of the vehicle raises real red flags for me in, in, in terms of whether or not what we're being what we're being uh, uh, what being witnessed on those videos are in fact uh, at correct. Also, the mere fact that he, uh, uh, his video cam uh, information wasn't provided in terms of what they released. So that, for me, has been a, a problematic. And, and lastly, Brother Africa, 
And now, according to police analysis, you see she turned the steering wheel to the right, allegedly, according to the cops, uh, to flee. Uh, two problems with this analysis. If she's if she if she steered if she moved the wheel the steering wheel to the right, it means that our officer was on the left, or conceivably uh, to avoid impact. If you suddenly are watching it, watching the, the so-called suspect, and then move the wheel to the right, then common sense that you move to the left, which means there's nothing is there's nothing in a, in a way to prevent the cops from actually moving left to get out of the way of the vehicle if, in fact, the system was planning on running over him. So I think that the fact that this whole claim in terms of imminent threat to the police is a lie. But I think, again, the cops, uh, by virtue of having power of the state, uh, you know, can do pretty much as they please. And in terms of uh, whether or not uh, what they did was appropriate and just is irrelevant. And what is important is that they maintain control. And so I think in that regard, it really doesn't matter whether or not the cops were lying because the state says that, you know, he had the right inevitably to use deadly force, even if the cop's life wasn't in, in jeopardy. Now, if she turned the steering wheel to the right, the officer's escape route, as I said, was not blocked. Also, you know, police, well, police reports stated the car moved toward the officer. Now, in order for the vehicle to move toward the officer, it implies that the deceased motivation had been to not to get caught. If you're going to run over somebody, knowing that you're going to strike them, with, you know, and he's assuming your, body, your car's going to run over their body, it's going to actually inhibit your opportunity or impede your opportunity to get away. So I think if her motivation is to get away, the last thing she wants to do is hit some object that's going to slow her up. So from, in particular, when you talk about something like allegedly stealing at a store, that certainly doesn't rise to the level of that kind of desperation when you actually run over cop or run over anybody for that matter in terms of trying to get away. So for me, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And now, you know, one of the things, you know, as I said before, Brother African, I think it's important to reiterate is that we should keep in mind that these concerns I expand are only relevant in the pursuit of truth and justice. Police exist to carry out state mandates to maintain control. Control of the masses do not concern itself with truth nor justice. Killing by police is sanctioned by the state to maintain control. Precisely why police killings are randomly punished. Throwing potential civil, civil suits, <laughs> the state's inclination to protect police becomes a necessary requirement in terms of the state's operations. So clearly, Brother Africa, this particular case raises a lot of red flags, but nonetheless, we understand in the context of police, you know, carrying out, you know, uh, will of the state, they can keep with impunity simply because the state sees an interest in terms of, you know, control. Uh, so therefore, they sanction the cops to do these kind of things. So clearly, this is problematic, and I'm going to follow this case. It's going to be very interesting in terms of how it plays out, you know, in, in, you know, in, in the courts. And I'll close with that. You know, Brother Haki, also the media plays a role in this too. Because what is their motivation to continue to publicize these kind of killings, particularly African people, when there are things that goes on that they don't want you to see, they don't show it. And see, also I see this as a form of psychological warfare against the African community. And one of the things we know that in the past, if you continue to show these kind of things over and over and over again, many times the people succumb to it and think it's the norm, particularly when you're a group of oppressed people who are disorganized. So it's doing a multi of things to our people in our community that we are really not conscious and well. All this is part of a warfare. This is what we mean by war comes in different forms. 
your response, Brother Hakeem, before we move on to Brother Anthony. No, you're, you're absolutely right on you're absolutely right on both accounts. Uh, the media has a vested interest, and keep in mind, there's only six organizations that control everything we see and hear in major media. So they have a vested interest in making sure the narrative supports the cops. I mean, that's no question about that. And this is but what is interesting is the cops create the narrative, uh, and the, 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 the media sort of embellish that narrative. So it creates that perception, in fact, that what the cop has conveyed is, in fact, true and beyond, beyond reproach. So clearly that's part of a strategy. And the psychological aspect that you talk about, you're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, one of the things is that if you, if you, if you do it enough, uh, not only do people become desensitized to the killing of African people, uh, but you install a certain amount of legitimacy in terms of killing African people. So killing African people doesn't, doesn't garner a, a, a bit of concern. It's just, sort of, it's just sort of routine. And so people don't get upset, they don't get angry, it's pretty much accepted as a norm. The problem is that when African people start accepting as a norm, then you've you got a problem. You see, this is the problem because soon about people accept it as a norm. And uh, for whatever reason, we feel like we, we have a, 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 a civic duty you know, to sit back when these kind of killings take place and, and to somehow to acquiesce or to, or, to or, or give support, you know, to these kind of killings by actively not getting involved in terms of, you know, uh, compelling the, the cops, you know, to deal with these, these, kind of, these kind of killings. So clearly, you know, when we talk about in terms of play as a community, in terms of facilitating, you know, a lot of these killings, we have to lay some responsibility on us because when this kind of stuff happens, People really should be on the street. They should be organized. They should be on the street in terms of demanding accountability, and not just not just a one time or one one shot deal. That the, the 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 organization has to be continuous. It can't be sporadic. It has to be continuous because we understand that you know, this kind of this kind of phenomenon of killing black bodies, is so, or killing black people, uh, uh, continues continues. To, we talk about average three people, three African people a day get killed in society. So given that reality, we know it's inevitable that someone is going to be killed by the cops somewhere somewhere. It's incumbent upon us as a people, as a community, to understand and say enough is enough because it's in our own best interest to say enough is enough. If we acquiesce or kowtow to these kind of killings with indifference, then we do disservice to ourselves. So when our children, our relatives, our loved ones, or even us, when we go to the street and get shot by police, there will be no one to defend us in terms of, you know, raising an outcry in terms of why this kind of, these kind of killings have to come to an end. And I close with that. Yeah, I just found it amazing that uh, one of the issue that that particular phenomenon brings about is the issue of people have to raise the issue of what is the value of a law? What is the law and how does law justify a particular class, a particular interest, a particular power? Because you have especially so-called psychological psychiatrists and Certain people specialize in training these police forces on how to create scenarios where you outright shoot people and kill people and can hide behind the pretense of the law the way it has been structured. But clearly in Ohio, when you look at the film, that, that European policeman got right in front of the car and just outright took his gun out and shot the sister for no reason. I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, 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 it's another reminder how our people had to deal, continue to deal with this issue of slavery and how they see us as non-human beings. So anyway, brother, we thank you for your report, and let's move forward and see what this spot. Our people's interest in understanding of this world that we live in by bringing in Brother Anthony. And Brother Anthony, 
what's going on in your world and the community? Uh, what's going on in my world is somewhat related to uh, the incident that, that Brother Haki relayed, and that is uh, there is an increasing reporting of violence perpetrated against Africans by uh, by the uh, by the police in particular and uh, Europeans in general and uh, police in particular. And uh, this is increasing uh, with uh, uh, the frequency which this occurs is increasing, which, uh, which, uh, which makes me wonder whether or not there's uh, there are psychological operations at work here that come into play. Because there is increasing violence against Africans that 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 that, that is being reported, and also uh, what else is going on in uh, in my world? Uh, the level of resistance uh, to oppression is increasing worldwide, particularly in Central and South America and at home in Africa. And uh, that gives me hope. Uh, the only thing is, uh, uh, let's see, our, uh, uh, we have to increase our level of organization because um, uh, the vigilance that's required to stop our oppression, uh, you know, uh, increases. As uh, as our oppression increases, so we have to get better organized as a people. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we will make our transition to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Yeah, well, um, I think you know. Uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And the burning issue on this planet is this U.S.-Israeli occupation of Palestine uh, with this racist apartheid system uh, of ghetto building and um, perpetuating the illusions of, of, of Jewish nationism and uh, and which dovetails with white nationism and black nationism as a movement. Uh, but um, anyway, a, a nation is not a race, but a historically evolved community of people on a definite land. Family is the foundation of a nation, for it is the interrelatedness of the community and a common economic bond during the epoch of capitalism from which it arises. Obviously, a nation has classes. My position is that Malcolm X was correct in defining the nation to which Negroes belong as Afro-America. Chairman Mao referred to the Afro-American people's struggle. As stated, a nation is not a race. Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton are part of the Afro-American nation of the Black Belt South. Obama represents the first African-American to become president. He is a black American of the Afro-American nation. And I think, you know, like, Israel was not 
grow up on that land and they they come from across Europe and different places to under the banner of the uh, nationhood and uh, and that's the big lie that Trump wants to make a great America great again on the white nationhood and uh, you know we we have to recognize these movements for what they are and not not um, give them quarters in any state ideologically or in, on any grounds. Um, we have to do a tip for that struggle against fascism. And um, anyway, that's that's. I just want to make clear that point. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And now we'll go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, I have to uh, say that I concur with the the three analysts, one rather high-key addressing the issue of murder in the United States of African people, and uh, Brother Moses and Trump's big lie and this rebuilding of white America uh, and uh, this Israeli Zionism uh, and and the fact that Clarence Thomas uh, acknowledges undisclosed real estate deals and discloses private jet flights uh, that that came up this week and that was interesting. Uh, that he's been cohorting around with uh, billionaires supporting their interests on the Supreme Court. They may not be directly involved in the cases, whether or not they're submitting amicus brief is not even the point. The point is the fact that uh, government doesn't seem to be able to separate itself from private corporate interests. Um, the fact that uh, the Clarence John- Johnson didn't close the deal where uh, um, this uh, crow bought his uh, mother's house and uh, she continued to live in it as well as the two vacant lots uh, adjoining the house, uh, and w- as well as paying for private school for his quote nephew that he loved like a a son. So we continue to see uh, this kind of shenanigans going on, and no, no one is demanding any any uh, action be taken by Crow or by Holland Crow or Clarence Thomas. So whatever's going on behind the scenes, uh, Justice uh, Alito's unprecedented Wall Street Journal um, rebuttal, that's another issue. So we just see uh, uh, 
the country in a, in a crisis, and the New York uh, Police Department denies uh, re- requests for body cam footage of a friendly fire killing there as well. Uh, we uh, we don't know what exactly happened. Uh, but turning over the video of a police shooting uh, at their uh, um, fellow officer would constitute an unwarranted invasion of his personal privacy is what the New York policeman, police department has said about why it refused to make the footage available to to reporters. So we see this this kind of thing happening in New, New York City while a Chicago cop is accused of lying under oath 44 times. Uh, now uh, prosecutors are dropping cases that relied on his, dropping cases that relied on his testimony. And uh, this Chicago police officer, Jeffrey Keeve, faces charges for perjury and forgery after getting uh, getting out of a dozen of traffic violations by claiming his girlfriend has stolen his car. Now cases that stem from arrests he's made are in jeopardy, you know. So we see so much happening in, in Norfolk. Um, uh, Norfolk is addressing uh, blocks train crossings in uh, Hampton, uh, Indiana. The railroad company has uh, delivered an early short-term fix for the train blocking kids from getting to school, but some officials are skeptical if it will follow through on bigger permanent changes needed just to address uh, issues of um, children going to school, other things. So we just see a lot of things happening with with uh, transportation, with the police, uh, with the Supreme Court, and uh, there seems to be no end, no no resolution to uh, any of these issues uh, as. Um, Brother Haki said, "There are just uh, uh, every news agency is owned by just a few people, and we have uh, one owned, several owned by uh, Australian, a ninety-some-year-old Australian, and there's no truth is not a concern, facts aren't a concern. So we we rely." on uh, people that are digging, that are really digging uh, deep and finding out what is going on. But one thing we know is that domestic violence is on the rise. Police violence is on the rise. Uh, These uh, strange attacks of working class, class youth, on Africans and others is continuing to happen across the country and Congress is taking no action 
to uh, resolve domestic violence and to bring about stronger gun control laws. And the environmental, the environment, as we saw last week, is being denied by the Republican Party uh, as a host. One minute, just out of the room. One minute, that close up. Got to move forward. One minute. Okay, let's move forward then, because uh, the planet. Sound like a winner. Sound like a selected winner, my sister. We thank you, and at this point in time, what we're going to do on Africa on the Move, we're going to set up the coming segment of dealing with the theme, Nigeria, Africa. We're going to play a song called Obama Nation. And I think one of the things about the artist, when you listen to the song, he raised the issue of what would life be like if you had an African so-called illusion of power. Listen to the lyrics and follow by a clipping from Kwame Nkrumah when he received his, was gone and received that independence back in 57, uh, he talks about this whole question of forces against Africa. The same forces that he was talking about back then are the same forces we're talking about now. As we discussed in two upcoming articles, the first one would be Africa coups exposed and unraveled a web of Western meddling. It was in an IT um, publication. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Followed by Nigerian military junta. It's supported by Pentagon. Pentagon, Washington, unspoken objective, remove France from Africa. Those will be our two feature articles today as we relates to our theme, Nigeria and Africa. And right now, we're going to play this particular song on abomination, followed by the message from Kwame Nkrumah as Ghana received his um, independence to warn us about these forces. So this will be our drop, backdrop when we come back to first article again. We invite you to come and discuss it with us. African coups expose and unravel a web of Western manly. This is Africa on the move. What's up? Just That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay, one nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Lumumba was democracy. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Glenn Beck is a racist. Got the strip was getting bomb. Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America could stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame? When they drop the bomb, I 
create, this ain't living somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans, but uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. (laughs) You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? arrayed against us are, and I use the word most carefully, formidable. They are intense and powerful. They are, as I have taken some pains to explain, the forces of imperialism acting through their instruments, new colonialism and colonialism, ably assisted by the agents of the Cold War. They operate in worldwide combinations at all levels political, economic, military, cultural, educational, social, and trade. And not all. And through intelligence, cultural, and information services. (laughs) 
They operate from European and African centers using agents who, I'm ashamed to say, are often on patriotic sons of Africa, buying personal satisfactions with the betrayal of their country's safety and integrity. They seduce leaders. They seduce leaders of the African political trade union and people's organization, thus creating rifts and quarrels within the national front. On the broader front, they are massing their forces in a determined effort to stay the advance of African liberation and the march of unity. It is not accidental that the countries of the European Common Market and those spearheading the Atlant North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the imperialist powers who have brought in their vassals Spain and Portugal. Portugal, in fact, since the wars of the Spanish succession, 1700 to 1714, being a protector of Britain, which has enjoyed special trading and unnecessary rights in both Portugal and in the Portuguese territories for over 200 years. It is not difficult to understand, therefore, why Britain has not raised her voice against the atrocities in Angola and other protected Portuguese territories and actually supported Portugal's preposterous scheme at Goa in India was an integral part of the metropolitan country. The arms and troops that are pouring into Angola cannot be regarded as solution from the international organization of imperialism and the Cold War militarism with which they are most definitely linked. It is absurd to think that Portugal, one of the poorest countries in Europe, could support so large an army, so well equipped, as that which is defending her colonial possession in Africa, without the active aid it must be receiving from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Nor can we look upon the way in which South Africa is busily building up an armed force equal to any held by the nations of Europe without sending the international implications that are obviously involved. She has, we hear, a secret military pact with Portugal. And the interlocking imperialist interests collected in the Congo and the Rhodesias, Angola and Mozambique, which are also linked with the great mining and financial interests operating in South Africa, create a chain of allies which seriously threatens both the fight for extending African emancipation from colonialism and independence of the new African state. Now, that African independence has been achieved over a large part of the continent and the national consciousness of Africans from north to south, from east to west, is adding momentum to the struggle for independence. Every kind of means is being used by the colonialists to arrest its progress and defeat its objective. They are attempting many methods, some sinister, 
some beguiling to wreck our efforts. They strike antipathetic postures. On one side, they perform acts calculated to strike fear. On the other, they try to do hoodwink us with fictitious gifts which superficially pander to our hopes and aspirations. They are the president's attempts to deflect our purpose, to weaken our determination. Discussion part two, Nigeria and Africa. We'll continue this discussion in the context of African coups exposed and unraveled a web of Western meddling. This article in RT and it based on interesting um, possibilities and behaviors by the West in this particular case. We're talking about more France as well as the U.S. It's an article, if you get a chance, you should go to Google and look it up and read it so it can maybe spark, spark your consciousness on the kind of games that are being played in Africa against Africa and African people around the world. Brother Haki, we'll let you start us off with your analysis and what you took from this article. It seems like it's a parallel story of the same thing that's going on in the United States in terms of the former president all of a sudden now is being charged with a certain level of corruption, and they may have willing to offer them up to try to save face. But anyway, Brother Haki, talk to us. What are some of the significant issues that arose from this article, from your perspective? Yeah, well... You're right, um, Brother Africa. The, uh, the the game the the, the game plan is is, is 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 the game plan is is, is continuous. And uh, certainly, when we talk in the context uh, of Nigeria, there's more to meet the eye in terms of what's going on in Nigeria. I think one of the things when we talk about the replacement of you know of this former president Bazoum, uh, it's very very interesting. Uh, you know that this particular president. His relationship with France, uh, you know, in terms of you know his desire to essentially give away Africa's resources for pennies, uh, just to keep his colonial masters happy, and certainly when you talk about in terms of a need for redress, uh, in terms of you know this this kind of this kind of colonial corruption, certainly is certainly justifiable. You know, the military or someone 
would say, listen, enough is enough, and you got to go. But unfortunately, the military's um, uh, strategy behind kicking, you know, removing this guy from power has less to do in terms of the interests of Nigeria and has more to do with the interests of the West. And one of the things that I think we, we, we have to call out is that, you know, when we talk about deceptive strategy, we have to keep in mind that there is a great deal of conflict uh, that, that exists in the Western states. Often we think Western states being unified in terms of how to carry out imperialism, but in fact, there are, there are uh, varying degrees of, 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 of differences in terms of how imperialism should be carried out. Uh, historically, one of the things that's very, very interesting is that France, uh, you know, you know, uh, recently talked about the fact that uh, the U.S. foreign policy is going to be the, the end of Europe. And in fact, one of the things that Macron advocated was a decoupling from U.S. foreign policy. Now, of course, in him talking about decoupling from U.S. foreign policy, I mean, it sets a bad precedent. It didn't set well with American leaders in terms of the acknowledging, you know, that U.S. foreign policy is particularly a problem. In that regard, when we talk about terms of kind of policy as it reflects as as it reflects Nigeria, and we talk about the move of Bazoum, uh, you know, which is which is uh, France's uh, favorite guy, when we talk about his removal, then the benefit most in terms of removal of Bazoum is not so much the Nigeria people, but it has more to do in terms of you know U.S. interests being the benefactors of removing Bazoum, and so now here's the thing, brother Africa, in terms of you know. You know why? You know why I say that. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, when we talk about in terms of interest, uh, keep in mind, uh, U.S. has, you know, U.S. interests uh, vary, you know, from time to time, from era to era. So, one of the things we talk about decline of the overall economic system in the United States government. One of the things is very, very key that in order for this capitalist system to survive, it's going to have to have to increasingly have more access to African resources in terms of being a, a power. In that regard, you know, given the fact that this, this, this antagonist relationship with France existed in the past and the U.S. desire, you know, for more resources to, to entrench uh, the, the stability of, of you know, of, of, of imperialism to the benefit of African economy, certainly in that context, French, the, French, the French, uh, French have to go. And in fact, so a lot of these, these things we see going on in Nigeria is not a reflection in terms of legitimate design, in terms of ending imperialism, it's an attempt to end imperialism, but not universal imperialism. It wants to end imperialism as it relates to Nigeria or to, to the French, or but it doesn't want to end uh, imperialism as it relates to U.S. imperialism. So essentially, what we're talking about, you know, we just simply we're just simply swapping out one imperialist for another. And so, in the context, in terms of you know, Af- us African states in particular, and Nigeria is one of those who are switching from France to England. To English, I think for me that is very, very problematic. I mean, because the whole thing is that the whole idea in terms of you know speaking uh, speaking a particular language is because of political uh, implications. If you spoke French, you're much better in terms of communicating ideas or have a relationship with people who speak French. If you speak English, you have much better relationship with people who speak English or people in the, in, the, in the English world. In that context, clearly uh, the the interest of the West doesn't re- doesn't doesn't rely. It doesn't doesn't rely. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't bode well in terms of the interest of Nigeria. So when Nigeria thinks that switching to English is somehow is, is a quantitative step forward, they do so. They they miss, they 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 they, they uh, they're essentially is espousing something that that's, that's nonsensical. Because the bottom line, it doesn't make a difference whether you're French imperialist 
or, or U.S. imperialism, imperialism, imperialism. And so I'm waiting to see in terms of exactly what transpired. Now, keep in mind, these particular officers who were part of this um, coup removed by Zoom, uh, uh, General uh, Tirani and Brigadier General Bamu, Bamu, Bamu uh, keep in mind, these guys were both trained in the United States. And typically we understand when these, these African leaders, or military leaders are trained in the United States, often they, they tend to agree or to back U.S. foreign policy. So we shouldn't, we sh- so we shouldn't disc- discount the, the possibility. Usually these particular individuals are carrying out the interests of, of, of the United States and not the interests of Nigeria per se. So I think one of the things we have to understand also is that, you know, um, you know and I'll close with this, I'm, I'm getting long one, but I'll consu- conclude with this. I think also, you know, one of the things when we talk about in terms of the historical uh, antagonism between France and, France and, and the U.S., I think the U.S. intimately understands that what France has articulated in terms of, you know, decoupling from the United States foreign policy is a pushier threat to, to imperialism. And as such, as such, given this particular threat against imperialism, it doesn't make, it, it certainly can be understood why the U.S. moved against France in terms of getting France uh, kicked out of, you know, its former Western, uh, West African colonies. So having said that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Akeem. Brother Anthony, when you look at this article, African coups exposed to unravel a web of Western meddling, there seems to be, like I said, a lot of parallels with what's going on as well as the United States in this political arena. If they can label the corruption of Africa, how can they label the corruption of Africa and not tell about the corruption that comes out of Europe, i.e. France and the rest of these European nations? It talks about France' behavior with Libya, how they so-called taking money, the politicians as well as the political parties, and did the same thing and go boom. So what do you take from this meddling issue, Brother Anthony? Uh, I take, I take uh, the, the rivalry between imperialist countries is intensifying. As it, as it will from time to time. And actually uh, what uh, we have going on is a case where uh, one imperialist power is trying to beat another at its own game. And, uh, and uh, that's what the rivalry between France and the U.S. is about. Historically, uh, imperialists have always had rivalries between each other. As a matter of fact, the the first two world wars were to kind of settle uh, rivalries between uh, uh, different imperialist countries. And uh, to some extent, uh, uh, those uh, those uh, deals are, are are more effective than others. Right now, uh, what what is happening is the fact that uh, is the fact that France and the U.S. are intensify are competing against it with each other for the same set of resources. 
and uh and so uh france is um is uh play, uh you know is playing this political game against the u s and uh this it, it, it is intensifying and what what uh, uh, the situation is uh the u s wants france out of africa for various reasons. One, so it can be the only imperialist power in Africa. For one. And uh let's see, and also there uh there are these rivalries between imperialist countries that occur from time to time. Sometimes they get more intense than at other times. Uh, for example, uh, during uh, Nkrumah's reign, it was uh, it was the uh, countries in southern Africa that were uh, dominated that nominated by settler colonialism that were major uh, rivalries to uh, Britain and whatnot. But uh, this, uh, but but it, it, it's the same old game basically. Just the players change from time to time. Thank you, Brother Ed. This is Sister Eleanor. You know, in this article, we see what Nicholas Sarkozy was alleged to take money out of lit from Libya, and he did the same thing. Go bond. What else in the kitchen? Feature issues that were raised in this article when you read it that you would like to share with that listening audience. Sister Eleanor. The taking the money out of Libya uh, was was just the beginning. Uh, since 1945, uh, uh, when uh, that um, French uh, Frank was established, uh, it has literally held many African nations in in bondage. That Oxfam um, uh, benefits from this arrangement and. Uh, and we see now that Niger, Mali, Costa d'Or, and uh, these other countries that are still using this CFR are uh, about to consider becoming a part of the BRIC. And we see that this is just an imperialist move to prevent China, I think, from playing a new role in uh, becoming a, a, a world power. So this is one of the reasons we now see the U.S. Uh, so involved. And as Brother Haki said, these people were trained in Georgia. Uh, normally, that had been the training ground for Latin American 
for for people that are members of the Organization of American States, OAS. But these folks uh, from Africa are now being trained there, and it is not to promote uh, independence. So um, what I see is that uh, there's about to be a break uh, in the use of the CFR. I also think that uranium and the pipeline are extremely important to the EU and even more important to to the U.S. to control. And um, this is the reason that you see the U.S. having such an interest in that ECOWAS is kind of a U.S.-backed organization. But uh, many countries in, in, in Francophone, uh, West Africa, uh, allege to unite together. They want to see U.S. imperialism out of Africa, and they also want to see the Francophone military out of Africa. So... Um, this is uh, what what I believe will happen, and uh, uh, the USAID will also uh, is being pushed out of Africa. But I think we just have to look at who has been doing the training. And remember that there's seen African countries today that uh, uh, artificially pegged to the French of Frank, and later the euro, uh, meaning that uh, importing from and exporting to France uh, is and the the eurozone has been very cheap. But important um, uh, form of export uh, uh, exporting because that 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 CFR doesn't carry the value of the euro um, or the British pound sterling or the dollar. It it uh, it 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 marginalizes Africa and its resources. That's what uh, right now the U.S. is trying to do with Russia in terms of its sanctions. Um, but uh, I think uh, Mitterrand uh, famously said France will have no history in the 21st century uh, if uh if this massive boom to France economy, which in, it enjoys a huge resource base from this CFR, which to extract and it uh, continues to extract raw material at artificially cheap prices. Uh, we talked about it last week. Uranium, uranium is needed for every light bulb in Europe. We talked about the pipeline uh, running from Nigeria across Niger. 
well, this is this is not what Africans want, and we're hoping to see a change, and that's all I can say. And we hope to see that the CFR uh, is no longer used by the 14 countries, and maybe they will participate in this BRIC. Uh, that is being established uh, in cooperation with South Africa, China, and several other countries, even Brazil's um, talking about being involved in in the creation of a new currency to fight back uh, European imperialism as well as U.S. and British imperialism. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, I'd like to just get your general response from the article, but I'd like to read this and have you and others who maybe would like to respond to this. Because when we talk about crime, you never really talk about who are the real criminals. And when you make it look like it's African politicians that are doing all the stealing when they're behind the scenes getting the real money. It's stated in this article in December 2010, the gallery citing the U.S. diplomatic cable dated July 2009 and published by WikiLeaks reported that then President Omar Bangle and other Gabonese officials had embezzled billions of funds from the pool reserve of six African countries at the Bank of Central African States for their own enrichment and at Mongo's direction, funded funds to French party, political parties, including in support of French President Nicolas Sarkozy. Your response, Brother Moses? Yeah, um, yeah i uh, I had a hard time following you there, but uh, um, the French um, right now are having problems um, maintaining their colonies in the same, they can no longer rule in the same way they used to rule, and the colonies will no longer be ruled in the same way they used to rule. So we have what we call a political crisis by definition. And, um, and so, you know, it's good to see the people um, consciously taking up the struggle and consciously recognizing oppression when they see it. Um, people will people will will use you, use you, use you, and tell you they're doing you a favor. And so that's what's happening in, in, with the with the French colonies, uh, France is basically saying we, we're doing you a, some kind of pa- patronage or uh, favor by uh, helping you administrate and uh, the people want self-determination, independence. And that's what's really going on in the world today. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Haki, your response? to the taking of billions of dollars out of the Bank of Central African States, uh, the president of Obama, and many of that money end up in France and other political parties in Europe. 
who are the real criminals? Well, brother, well, brother Africa, we 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 know who the real criminals are. Uh, clearly, we're talking about a system which is um, invested in criminality. We don't want to say that, but that's just the core reality in terms of how this capital system is structured. It's designed to steal, to plunder. Uh, that's what it's designed to do. And certainly to the extent that people acquiesce or people support that process is real problematic in Africa. In Africa. When you talk about uh, former President Omar Bongo uh, in terms of corruption, still in $6 billion from other six African states, Keep in mind that the same kind of sickness, the same kind of mentality was manifested in his son, Ali Bongo. So we have this kind of, this, 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 this weird kind of classism. Uh, we have the situation where too many African leaders are intent on stealing, you know, uh, you know from their people in terms of enriching, enriching themselves. And, and clearly the problem is that when you start thinking about terms of the overall devastation of the African economy, uh, the African people, the African continent as a whole, when you think about that kind of wholesale destruction, uh, you realize that what they're doing is simply not uh, something to be applauded, but in fact it's something that's reprehensible, and I think we have to see it as such. Uh, but but, but in, implicit in this, we have to understand that when we talk about corruption, in terms of corruption that exists in the African continent, in terms of kickbacks, let's be very, very clear. When Sister Eleanor talked about the currency that they use in those 14 Af- West African states called a CIFA, CFA. When we talk about that currency, it's simply a way in which, in terms of you can formally or legitimately engage in corruption without being corruption. In other words, they have a situation set up with essentially where the monies of Africa, those 40 African states, are literally transferred to, to France banks. France, in turn, use those dollars in terms of investment in euros to make more money while Africa becomes poorer and poorer and poorer. And the reason why African leaders participate in this kind of criminal activity is because they, too, are recipients of kickbacks. They get paid in terms of various kinds of ways, whether it's direct payments from the West or whether it's terms of kickbacks from resources in terms of, you know, under the table. Also, clearly, there is, so for them, there's a benefit in terms of participating in this kind of corruption. But clearly, one of the things that if you're going to serious about eliminating corruption by the Africa, I think one of the things you have to do first and foremost, not only do you have to recognize that corruption exists, but you've got to understand fundamentally that people who exercise or people who believe in corruption, people who are endowed with certain beliefs, that, such as the, value, the money term, defines who you are as a human being, those kind of people do not need power. If you give those kind of people power, then, of course, they're going to participate in the corruption. That's the problem. You've got a lot of these older, older leaders in Africa uh, who are, you know, you know who have been indoctrinated to believe that, in fact, Everything is bona fide as long as it comes from the West. And so even the corruption is bona fide. And so they're willing to engage in corruption because they see it as just and proper because if the West does it, it's good for us. So those kind of people have to fundamentally be rejected in terms of the political process, in terms of not coming to power. The problem is that this kind of corruption is so pervasive. That is, that is the problem in Africa. And don't get me wrong. It's just not unique to Africa. It's all over the world. If you talk about, for instance, in the United States in terms of the kind of corruption and you talk about the, the selling out of the African masses by so-called black, you know, black professionals or so-called middle-class black folks. It is the same phenomenon. They have brought into this perception that, in fact, that money defines them as a human being, and so they're willing to play along with the game because as long as they get some money, in their mind, they're somebody, and that's sick. 
that speaks to the kind of insecurity in which, you know, no person with that kind of insecurity should be in a position of power. But if the masses of people are not educated to understand the psychology behind it all, then they tend to, to, to reelect those people who say all the right things. And keep in mind, this re-election process is not always fair. For the most part, it's not fair. In fact, um, one of the things you can't you can't dismiss, you know, the the kind of uh, interference in terms of the West, the role that they play in terms of ensuring that their people come to power by manipulating the political process in foreign lands, in particular in places like Africa. Uh, so, but the bottom line is that this is this this kind of corruption is 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 host, is, 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 is big. Uh, it exists throughout the world uh, to the extent that it impacts Africa is devastating. And so, therefore, you know, one of the things, unless we can innovate a way uh, in terms of, I'm talking about the youth, I think unless they can innovate a way in terms of being able to clarify, uh, you know, to codify, you know, uh, you know, into the political process, the weeding out of corrupt individuals, individuals who really believe that, that, that the West is superior, until you can get rid of such people, then the bottom line is that they can continue to play ball with the West to the detriment of Africa states in Africa as a continent. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, I, I think that when, so when you talk about psychosis, uh, uh, you talk about or, 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 or Mid or Jacques Chirac, when you talk about these individuals in terms of receiving kickbacks you from, you know, from the African states, it's, it's, it's not unusual. So the corruption is a two-way street. Like I said before, there's corruption on the, on the European end, there's corruption on the African end. The bottom line is corruption is corruption. If we don't innovate a system to systematically dismantle the corruption, the bottom line is that the corruption is going to continue to, to, to persist. And my biggest concern that given the changes that are taking place in Africa, uh, we're headed to a situation in which the, 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 ruling, the, ruling, the ruling thrust in terms of actually carrying out uh, you know, uh, corruption is going, going to be the domain of the United States government. And once that kind of corruption hits, uh, hits Africa, given the, in course, given the fact that you've got these large military bases already in Africa, when you talk about these large military bases in contention with large, you know, with this kind of American corruption, then it's, it would, it would stack on Africa a bit of good. In fact, it's going to make, America, make uh, French imperialism look benign. So we have to wake up and realize that this is, this is the challenge is real, but we have to have organization. We have to have that political consciousness to understand precisely what it is we're up against. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. At this point in time, we're going to take a station break, and when we come back, we will transfer from this article, Africa Coups Exposed and Unravel, a Web of Western Medellin. Topic is the latest foreign interference in French elections led to charges against an ex-president as another former colleague goes to coup. That can be found in the newspaper RT. But when we come back, we're going to make a transition to our next article titled Niger Military Junction is supported by the Pentagon. Washington unspoken objective, remove France from Africa. That's in global research. We will have that discussion. But Brother Anthony will leave us off. So don't you go nowhere. We will continue this discussion tonight. Part two, Niger and Africa. This is Africa on the Move.
a negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote-unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards on the Europe or European. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look under Africa and the Africans, the only entries under Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes. We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon as the host of Africa. We will continue our discussion on part two, Nigeria, Africa. So we're on a break, we so would like to entertain. The article came out of the article that came out of what is my source? Hold on for me for a second. Global Research is titled Niger Military Junta it is supported by the Pentagon, Washington Spoken Objective. Remove France from Africa. Now, in this article, it raised um, several important issues. I think we, we need, I think that we need to think about as we do our analysis of trying to figure out what is really happening in Africa today, particularly coups that are going on. One of the questions it raised was that: Is there a genuine anti-imperialist people movement? in West Africa. But sometimes the things we see is more of an illusion and not a real reality. Imperialism has all kinds of games to be played. So, in terms of this article, whether you agree or disagree with it, I think we should need to highlight 
some issues to bring attention to our people that they need to be aware about and think about as they continue research and do their analysis of what's going on back in their home Africa. Brother Anthony, as you read the article, before we deal with the elephants in the fence, around the question of really is U.S. behind this whole plot to remove France, but in terms of the first question, is that genuine anti-imperialist people movement in West Africa? What is your response to that question, Brother Anthony? Uh, no, there isn't a genuine anti-imperialist movement going on in, uh, in Western Africa. Uh, the reason I say that is because any, um, any, uh, any truly anti-imperialist movement must be a movement towards Pan-Africanism. In other words, the total unification and liberation of Africa under scientific socialism. Uh, so, uh, 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 let's see, as far as the mo- movements going on now, they're movements against, um, uh, uh, French domination, but not really toward Pan-Africanism. And I think, and I think it is critical that people understand this that uh that uh pan-africanism entails unification in other words there there is not any movement uh for these countries to unite uh, 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 against an enemy and i think i think this is critical uh that uh that there's no efforts toward genuine unification and uh, and that has to to take place in order for pan africanism uh to to to, to thrive thank you brother Anthony. brother Haki, the elephants in the room what is your position based upon what has been presented in this article do you see the feasibility that there's a plot by u s to move france out of africa Absolutely, absolutely. I think we 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 dismissed uh, the 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 how 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 devastated the economy U.S. economy really is. We don't also understand just how indebted the United States economy is. In fact, it's so indebted the bottom line that it's not coming back in its current form. So they have to seek some alternatives in terms of their survival. Uh, one of the things we talk about the level of debt in American society. We understand the role of uh, central bank digital currency. Now, this so-called central bank digital currency allows the United States to unilaterally uh, create, 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 create money solely on, on a computer. It doesn't have, money doesn't even have to physically exist. It's all on computer. So with that money on the computer, it sort of solidifies uh, control in terms of, of the economy. Uh, but so if, if Africa is, is, is not careful, if Brother Anthony alluded to uh, an important in terms of Africa being strong, united, and, lib- and liberated, if Africa doesn't achieve pan-Africanism, then if it play balls in terms of central bank digital currencies, it does so at a disadvantage. 
because clearly this this is something that's designed in terms of the interest of the West. Because when we think about historical in terms of all the money, and we think about the fact that money historically has always been backed by something to give it value. Now we have a situation with money. Money exists out of thin air. It doesn't. It does. It doesn't. It, it doesn't have to be backed by anything. It's simply. It's simply. If whatever they say on the computer is what it is. So if you say we have trillion, we have a hundred trillion dollars, you know, in our accounts, then that's what you have. You have a hundred trillion dollars account. Likewise, if you have African states. You only have you only have a, a few billion dollars in your account. That's all you have. It's all based upon computers. So this kind of desperation is clear. So when we talk about in terms of imperialism, the bottom line is that if you talk about legitimate, you know, strong unified Africa, it will constitute a real threat to U.S. imperialism. So if that's be the case, then why did anyone think that for one second the the, the, the America is going to treat African fairly? It's not going to treat them fairly. None of this is designed to treat them. And let me say this, and what is very, very interesting, you know, uh, over the last over the last three years, five, you know, five, Af- you know, over the last three years, five there have been five coups in West Africa. This is very, very interesting. And these coups took place in Mali, Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Guinea, and Chad. And we're at six. That's one at a six one Gabon recently, last last week Gabon. So when you talk about in terms of organizing the people around imperialism, it all sounds good, and certainly you get people up in arms and people ready to fight. Uh, but the problem is that essentially what it does is create possibility in terms of you know rallying up the people to direct the people, use that energy, direct that energy of the people toward the people that you want out of the country. In this context, the United States wants France out of West Africa. So what's happening is that the strategy is simply firing people up People are ready, you know, to take, to take up arms. They're ready to fight the French to get them out of that country. That is precisely what the precisely what the United States want, because they want to make sure that French influence is totally vacated from those from those fourteen African states. And in that regard, they're not doing it because they're altruistic. They're doing it because they expect to, to, to expect to 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 rape Africa of its resources in a much grander fashion. And if we don't understand that, then we simply don't understand imperialism. And so having said that, Brother Africa, I think that one of the things that we can anticipate in terms of U.S.-style imperialism in conjunction with you know, central bank digital currency, we can anticipate that the value of the commodity prices or the value of Africa's resources will be, uh, will be so minimum that the level of poverty in Africa is going to reach proportions unseen since, since colonization started over 400 years ago on the continent of Africa. So clearly, uh, you're absolutely correct, Brother Africa. This notion that, in fact, that uh, somehow America is going to do uh, Africa some good in terms of forming anti-imperialism on the continent, for anyone who believes that, I got a bridge for sale in Brooklyn, New York, and I close with that. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Sister Eleanor, we can see there's a lot of relationship between these coups as relates to the interests of France and U.S. What do you take from this article, Sister Eleanor? One, Brother Africa, as Brother Haki just said, he talked about uh, suddenly the U.S. interests. And I keep in mind that with this new world order, France has kind of been the only uh, 
um, Western European nation that's kind of spoken up about the issue in Ukraine and uh, and that sort of thing. And um, the blowing up of the North Stream and this and that. So, and the U.S. has been making a move in, in Africa, a military move in Africa for some time. And the purpose is, what is NATO doing in Africa? What is this this kind of thing happening? So the reality is, Brother Haki said, this is uh, going to be a devastation for Africa. And these, these, uh, these uh, coups weren't coups of democracy. They're coups of imperialism and uh, represent a real danger. Uh, now, what's interesting, we saw what happened in Libya. We, we, we see what's happening with the EU in trying to limit the movement of uh, the environmental refugees from Africa into Europe. And the, the U.S hasn't spoken up on this issue at all. But we do know one thing, that uh, uh, whether it's Burkina Faso, uh, whether it's uh, Gambia, uh, wherever in West Africa, that ECOWAS, E-C-O-W-A-S, is not going to tell the coup plotters when and where uh, they're going to going to strike. And uh, I tell you, you know, recently you saw that um, several writers, there was an article in New York Times and several writers, including people like Cole Tink, were being attacked because of their speaking out against what's going on internationally, including in in Africa. And uh, you have to ask yourself why. Because uh, it's not for zero tolerance for unconstitutional change. It's for imperialist goals and ambitions. And so we really have to recognize that uh, uh, the or for example, um, and others won't tolerate it. But then you have Senegal. And Mackie Stahl's government has banned the opposition parties and and imprisoned some of his leaders. So he's not falling for this U.S. imperialism. And the reality is is that imperialism, whether it's Euro- European imperialism or U.S. imperialism, 
It is nonetheless imperialism. But the one thing is so true about U.S. imperialism. If you think things are bad in Africa now, you haven't seen anything yet. Because look how the U.S. treats its own people. Look how it treats the people that are the descendants of chattel slavery and its failure to reckon with and reconcile uh, its, its wrong and the fact that it continues to run these training camps out of Georgia uh, uh, that cause nothing but violence in, in, in the global south. And now we see it in Africa. So we just have to remember, as I said, USAID and OAS, Organization of American States, we've seen what they've done in the global south. Now the big fight will be the... 14 African countries that continue to use that CFA prank as Brother Haki said. And uh, the goal is to break France as now um, the goal is to break Russia. The result has been uh, a stagnation and an underdevelopment across Francophone Africa. That's what we've seen with the CF, the CFA. But it's going to be even worse. You know, Niger, uh, the GDP per capita today is significantly lower than what it was at the time of its formal independence from France in 1960. Now, France continues to be by far and always its largest trading partner, as it is with Niger and uh, the other former Francophone colonies. So the reality is the U.S. wants this to stop. And there's a regional integration, regional war, uh, and and this war is not about pan-Africanism. It's not about ending colonialism. It's it's about establishing establish, establish, new colonial outposts. And uh, Niger is the cornerstone of the American military operations in Africa, hosting around 1,100 or more personnel across six bases. And in 2019, the U.S. opened an Air Force base, Air Force Base 201, a huge $110 million airfield used to carry out drone operations across the Sahel. And we see this happening. And as uh, on the musical breaks, when you hear former President Obama talk about one word, drone strikes, well, Somalia 
can tell you all about them. Now, the a reason for foreign troops is to help the region deal with Islamic terror, Islamic terrorism isn't being bought by anyone. Uh, NATO in 2011, just remember the destruction it caused in Libya. So uh, another country with which Niger shared a border was Libya as well as Chad. The military alliance attack turned Libya from a nation with one of the highest standards of living in Africa to a fallen state run by jihadists. Uh, and uh, we've seen mass death and destruction since the assassination of Omar Gaddafi. So the coup, therefore, enjoyed widespread support inside the country. But a poll published by uh, The Economist earlier this week found that 71% of Nigerians want the military junta to remain in power, with only 27% wishing for Bozom, uh, for the current uh, former president to return. So all of this is uh, a bunch of propaganda, and we don't know what it really means, other than tens of thousands uh, have packed into uh, a stadium there to express their wishes for independence and have denounced the threats of the U.S. or French intervention. So the bottom line is these nations want independence. The next thing is what will Russia's role be uh, in in Africa? as well as China, hey, and we see China already in Africa. So the bottom line is uh, Africans do not want another authoritarian regime that interferes in other nations. Much of uh, Africans uh, just don't want any type of authoritarianism. So that means they want... Um, no involvement with U.S. imperialism, nor do they want to continue to live under French colonialism. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your perspective. And, you know, from time to time, as you listen to After on the Move, we have a group of panelists and analysts who independently give their perspectives and their understanding on issues. And I would like to use my prerogative at this particular point just to raise an issue where I differ with the position of Sister Eleanor about what's going on now has nothing to do with or is not about Pan-Africanism. I think it's all about Pan-Africanism. Ever since the arrival of Europeans who came to the continent to dominate the continent in terms of resources and people in terms of labor, it has been all about pan-Africanism, understanding the disbursement of our people globally, and even today, how they have collectively agreed upon how they would deal with Africa as far back historically in 1884-85, the Berlin Conference, 
and this is the manifestation today. If you look at the lessons that Kwame Nkrumah stated to African leaders back when there was the founding of the Organization of African Unity, where he stated that the independence of Ghana is useless, not unless the whole continent is unified, liberated, and free. And we can see that come to play today. If you look at the development of AFRICON, U.S. got militaries on the soil of every African country on the continent, you're not going to be able to defeat that without the development and achievement of Pan-Africanism. It's because of the lack of Pan-Africanism why they are in the position that they are in today. So I would just like to just put my priority out there. So sister, I agree, I disagree with you all about that. And when you look at imperialism, it's talking about dominating African people, not only a continental basis, but they're also talking about a global basis. There's no one independent African country that can stand up against imperialist forces in the West and defeat it. Nor do they operate as individuals. They operate as a collective. So for me, sisters, I think this whole thing has all been about the struggle for pan-Africanism. That is properly being defined as the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. So on that note, we'll go and bring in Brother Moses, and we raise this question with you, Brother Moses. And you can share with our listening audience what you got from this article. Brother Moses, is it acceptable to ask the French leave to leave Africa and not the U.S.? Your thoughts on that, Brother Moses? Certainly, if the people of Africa want to be free, they want to be totally free. They don't want a sham freedom. Uh, And, you know, the USA represents oppression. And uh, the French, obviously, are there and have proven they are oppressors. And so, you know, they have to have a united front against against all imperialist forces uh, and uh, a self-determination, independent, program of action for their people you know our best the best defense is an offense and uh, they have to have a proactive government that's that's trying to provide for the people and that's that's the real catch is do they have a government that's trying to provide for the people uh, are they really looking out for the interests of the people and um the you know history history will prove them one way or the other um um the fact that they their past is cloudy in terms of being in the USA and all that, uh, that that's an indication of, of a problem. But in and of itself, it's not a problem per se, because if they it's where you're going that's the that's the cure, that's the the real crucial the fatherland where we're going where we're trying to accomplish, and um, if they have the interests of the people at heart, then that's good. And we should we should see by their actions and their behavior whether that's not true or whether that's true or not. And so the weeks will come will prove it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You're listening to Africa on the Move. I'm your host, Brother Africa. We share with our listening audience that um this is a real interesting article and the narrative is a lot different. But it talks about how the yes may be behind all of these movements as relates to the coup. If you get a chance, please go and Google this article. Niger Military Juncture is supported by the Pentagon 
Washington unspoken objective. Remove friends from Africa. So on that note, what we're going to do in terms of closing out our program, part two, Niger Africa, we're going to take a quick station break. Revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we just want to get our panelists um, to articulate their final thoughts for the night. This is Africa on the move.
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our love. needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs, our love. needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Her freedom, Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Thank you. All right, Sister Lucy Murphy, we agree with you. You must take a stand for freedom and take a stand for truth. Those are the things that we got to do. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. I'm your host, Brother Africa. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We may not give you what you want, but we'll do the best to give you what you need. You know, information must be used as a tool for liberation. Without information, you cannot think. And more definitely, without organization, you cannot think more clearly. If you love your people, you want to be free, then you must be organized. So we encourage all our listening audience to come and join us after on the moon under the banner of the African Women's Association. Come with us and we can show you a new dance that we call Let's Get Organized. That's right. Once we learn our dance properly, we're going to be all right. Let's get organized. So on that note, we're going to close out this program on the 3rd of September, 2023. 
as we close out that theme tonight, part two, Nigeria and Africa. We're going back to our political panelists, panelists and they're going to give us their final comments for tonight. And we're going to start with our brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, it's been, again, an interesting, uh, definitely uh, point, points have been made that are relevant to the critical questions that the movement faces and which way forward and which which direction we should be going in. We try to answer some of those questions. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, we we look at a concrete analysis of concrete conditions of life and soul of Marxism, and so we try to analyze real people and real problems, and um, we don't throw around words lightly. Um, as a political scientist, you know, a nation has a definite meaning, and um, and so you know, it's been good. I hope I look forward to next week. Thank you. We'd like to thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. And now we turn the mic over to our sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Can you hear us, Sister Eleanor? Okay, while we wait for Sister Eleanor, we're going to move forward. Brother Haki, talk to us. Give us your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, I, I got to tell you, Brother Africa, you know, um, you know, a lot of times when I think about what goes on in society, you know, it's, it all seems so surreal. When you get, when you look at the level of devastation, the level of poverty, the level of suffering, needless suffering that exists in the society, you know, I'm often amazed that you know uh, we have more people who are, or for, for lack of a better term, you know, uh, dismayed or upset with the current state of affairs. Uh, the mere fact that so many of us have been conditioned to believe that this is just natural, uh, to me, it concerns me to, to, to a great deal. Uh, you know, here recently it was disclosed, you know, that corporations um, uh, use $341 billion. Now, these corporations I'm talking about are some of the biggest corporations in the land, and these are also some of the corporations that pay the lowest wages in the land. But in any event, these corporations, uh, 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 51 out of 100 of these corporations made $341 billion, or, or they used $341 billion for stock buybacks. Now, obviously, in buying back the stocks, the whole idea is to inflate the value of the stocks or increase your earnings. Uh, but it does nothing in terms of, in terms of uh, you know, energizing the real economy. There's simply a way to transfer money to the pockets of the, of the very powerful, the very wealthy. And so they do so at, at the expense of, of, the, of the population. And I'm just, it's just always, it amazes me, you know, that they can do these things cavalierly and, and, and without any consideration in terms of the impact, not only does it have on, on, on the economy, but with the impact it has on people in the society. And when we talk about the decrease in wages, in terms of wages consistently going down, the problem is that the bottom line is that when we talk about the systematic transfer of wealth from the government to the very wealthy, when we talk about such relationship, we think about the fact as these wages go down and government depends on revenue, then the revenue has to come from the poorest people in society. Here's the problem. The poor people in society, wages simply won't allow them to contribute to the government's economy uh, simply because the wages are simply too low. 
And so I often think that when, so when I think about these kind of policies and these stock buybacks and these, these systematic you know, plundering of the economy for the benefit of the wealthy, I, I, I say to myself, my goodness, I mean, what, what is it about the society that people, so many people just don't get it? Uh, you know, and also I, I think that, you know, recently, you know, the, the Heritage Foundation talked about the fact that, you know, when, term, when it comes to expenditures, the United States government is spending trillions of dollars in this war in, 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 the, in, the, in the Ukraine. Of course, the whole idea behind spending all this money in Afghanistan is to wear Russia down militarily and to weaken it from within so the U.S. can eventually wage war against Russia with the hope that it would defeat Russia. But the problem is that the Russians are very, 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 very aware of the strategy employed by the United States. I mean, they did that in terms of um, other states. But but Russia is is aware of that. So this is not a strategy that's going to be useful in terms of being able to wear Russia down. In fact, Russia's economy is doing quite well, irrespective of the sanctions that are imposed by the United States government. But yet it persists. And the more it persists in terms of, you know, the expenditures for war, the poorer this economy becomes, which means that desperation of people grows leaps and bounds. And I'm always amazed why people just don't get it. Now, President Biden is proposing, Brother Africa, he's proposing, in addition to the trillions he already spent in, U- in Ukraine, he's proposing $40 billion additional dollars, $13 billion for military assistance only, and $8 billion for infrastructure. Now, why is this important? Well, the $8 billion specifically, infrastructure is geared toward in terms of the, 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 the benefits of, of, of investment, investment organizations like BlackRock, who has tremendous investments in Ukraine. They know that the Ukrainians are not going to win that war, but it doesn't matter because they essentially brought the whole country of Ukraine, and when this war is concluded, they're going to be trillionaires. And, and, and here's the thing, that they use the money of the people in terms of these foreign excursions for the, to support these foreign wars, but when it comes to the benefit, to, and the benefit to the masses of the people in terms of subsidies or even in terms of support, in terms of social services or social spending, there's no money to be had. And so clearly, uh, so clearly, I'm always amazed. I sort of think I said this is so surreal because none of this makes any sense. It seems to me that people should be outraged in terms of what's going on, but they're not. They pretty much take it in stride. And I'm like, this is so surreal. And then I think to myself, well, you know what? If this if this thing we call life is all an illusion, then certainly it makes sense, you know, that uh, uh, people uh, people are not going to pay attention to in terms of what's going on. Because of that, because they're deemed to, to be such a way, then that's what they're going to do. They're going to be that way. So maybe that's made account for why the the, the why people are just so apathetic, uh, you know, in terms of what's going on in society and not faced by it one iota. And so it seems to me, you know, I I don't know what's going to take. And I like to believe that in fact that you have a, a you have a right wing and left wing analysis in terms of what's going on in society. But the bottom line is that the more you look at it, the more the analysis between the right and the left are pretty much the same. In other words, they both legitimizes, you know, U.S. military excursion. They both justify the, 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 the exclusion of people from the economy. They both justify, you know, police, police accesses under the guise of making things safe. So there's no fundamental difference philosophically between the so-called left and the so-called right. And so for me, I find that very troubling. But nonetheless, you know, people may say, well, that's overkill. It's not quite like that. But when you get down to it in terms of the essence, and when you look in terms of what's going on, and you analyze the policies or, or the positions that these organizations take, whether they're on the right or the left, none of them co- concretely devise a way in which to end capitalism. 
So unless it's sincere talk about any capitalism, then the bottom line is that they're full of they're full of hooey. They're not they're not sincere. But having said that, Brother Africa, as always, you know, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix because uh, clearly the situation is the situation is not going situation is not going to improve no matter how much we would like it to. The bottom line is the situation as we see it uh, is untenable. I mean, there's no way conceivable to bring about the kind of resolve that we need to see in terms of a more enlightened, and more uh, more equal society. That's simply not going to happen. So it's coming upon the African community, particularly it's coming upon all communities, but particularly the African community, in terms of creating those organizations, those institutions to prepare prepare our people to protect our children for any contingency. Is very, very clear. If we fundamentally think that politicians are going to solve our issues, then you're fundamentally in error. Because the bottom line is that just like all other corrupt individuals, politicians are beholden to the system. Their focus is not in terms of dismantling the system. Their focus is on being a part of the system to enrich them, to ingratiate themselves in terms of access to more and more money. And that's a sad reality, but that is the reality. So build those institutions, build those, build those organizations, and I'll close with that. Brother Africa, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. You do the same. And next we'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, if you'll find a thought. And talk a little bit about your organization, your recent program that you had a couple of weeks ago, dealing with student youth and women, and how it um, – have had some kind of impact, positive impact on that community, so people are still talking about it. So, Brother Anthony, our people need organization. What can your organization, the all African people up here by DC, provide for the people? Sure, we can. Uh, we can continue to work to achieve Pan-Africanism, which is our objective, and that is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. That is our contribution towards the movement towards uh, socialism, scientific socialism worldwide. And uh, that is needed more than ever today. And uh, let's see, and uh, organizations that don't uh, don't take concrete steps towards achieving pan-Africanism are objectively um, working in the enemy's interest. And uh, let's see, we had a successful program uh, focusing on uh, youth, uh, students, and women a couple of weeks ago. Still getting feedback from it. And uh, the purpose of this program was to highlight the role of uh, students, youth, and women in our struggle for uh, for liberation. And uh, and uh, let's see, you can find out more about it by visiting our website www.a-aprp dash uc.org where you can find out the history of our organization objective and uh, you know uh, uh, pan-Africanism and how we uh, and how we develop that and uh, our position on various issues 
uh, impacting Africa uh, and African people worldwide, uh, such as uh, 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 Brother uh, Bob Brown's uh, 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 letters uh, to the uh, to the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, declaring, actually declaring slavery, the slave trade, a, a, a crime against humanity. And uh, you can find out uh, more about that on, on our website as well. Uh, let's see. I would urge uh, all people who do not belong to organizations to join an organization that is working for our people's liberation. One such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. And like I said, you can refer to our website for more information about our organization. Uh, But I urge people to join an organization that is working for our people. Uh, our people's liberation. We have nothing, nothing else to do with our time except fight our, against our oppression. And uh, one of the most effective ways of doing that is uh, is working for Pan Africanism. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Anthony. I'd like to thank all the panelists and analysts for today's program. Of course, we'd like to thank you, the listening audience, for allowing us to come to your home this evening where we speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We remind you that this radio program is under the banner of the African Awareness Association. But if you have any comments or any views or if you'd like to participate, you can email us at africaonthemove2 at gmail.com. That's right, africaonthemove2 at gmail.com. We'd like to say... Hello to our brothers and sisters throughout the continent of Africa and throughout the Pan-African world, whether they're in Colombia, Cuba, Brazil, Venezuela, Haiti, Canada, um, you know, you name them. They're all one people, one aim, and one destiny. Pan-Africanism is the key. We said all African trees. So on that note, we'd like to just remind you that we can join us every Sunday at 7 p.m., Standard time and share this with your friends. Help us build our audience. You're going online by going to Blog Talk Radio and type in our program name or dial in at 1 323 I'm your host, Brother Africa, and like always, we may not give you what you want, but we'll do our best to give you what you need. Until next time, as always, remember to subscribe to go forward album, Baptist novel, and for the next 15 minutes, we will end this program with music of liberation. We must remind you that, yes, when we talk about this whole question, not yet you, you, that means we are not yet free. So we'll start y'all with that song and we'll play other songs of inspiration. So again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting us. And together, with unity, no force on the earth can stop us. Until next week, have a great one. This is Brother Africa, and you've been listening to Africa on the Moon.
Africa is where.